Well, good morning, Alder Grove. Welcome here today. My name is Kevin, and I am uh, the pastor here for our Alder Grove campus, and I'm really excited. I love child dedications. Isn't that fun? I feel like that there are so many people that are here just for child dedication, and now you're like, now we have to listen to this guy talk. Sorry about that, but welcome here. Uh, I, I just do appreciate that if this is one of your first times here, you're just kind of visiting for the first time, checking out church or Jesus, uh, thank you for coming, uh, and, and I'm so excited that you're here today. Thanks for taking the risk even to walk through the doors of a place that is maybe new. I realize being new at a place can be a little bit scary. But you have found yourself here in a series that we're doing, like uh, John and, and Michael said, called Abide. And we're talking about what it means to be apprenticed to Jesus through worship. And uh, one of the things that I thought would be really fun is, is to interview people as part of this series. Now, we have a lot of people that are up here leading us in worship. We have drummers and keyboards and bass players, guitar players, all sorts of things. Uh, but one of the roles that you might not be aware of is we have something called a band director. And every week we have someone that kind of helps lead this team. And that's the person that, that is involved primarily in picking what songs we sing. They pick the arrangement that we're singing that song in. They pick the keys. And they kind of lead the team each week. And so they're pretty instrumental in what we do here on a Sunday. And so I thought it'd be really cool to kind of interview these people because we get to see them up here. But I thought it'd be awesome for us to get to hear them and hear their heart for worship and a little bit about who they are just as people. So for the next five weeks, we, we have five band directors that we're going to be interviewing uh, over the next five weeks. And so today I'm going to be talking to my friend Tasha. So could you welcome Tasha? And we're going to come sit down over here. So Tasha, we're, we're going to sit down just because like that makes it seem more casual, right? And so we're just going to sit here, put our feet up. Um, so Tasha, just maybe introduce yourself, tell us who your family is and how you ended up being a part of our campus here at Aldergrove. Yeah, good morning. I have to say, I can sing in front of hundreds of people, no problem, but as soon as I have to talk, I like, forget how to breathe, and so... A little nervous, but uh, yeah, my name is Tasha. Uh, I ended up here through Bethel. I started attending Bethel about 10 years ago. Um, and yeah, I was really excited to merge with North Langley and just see a lot of growth and new life. Yeah. That's awesome. And who's your family? Tell us your family. Oh yes, my family. I've got my husband Johnny and my son, he's two, is Jacob. They're not here today, but yeah, awesome. they're my, my crew. Okay, awesome. Now, you've been leading worship. You led worship with Bethel when Bethel was a church, and you've been one of our band leaders and worshiping, leading worship here. Tell, tell me what draws you into wanting to be a worship leader, because a fair bit of work goes into it. It's not something you just show up for. Uh, I know you put a lot of effort into it. So what about it is so appealing to you? Yeah, I mean, I've always been involved in music. I've played piano since I was young. Um, went to CBC for worship arts and was playing in our youth band and that kind of thing. And at some point, it switched from just helping the congregation sing songs to really guiding them into an experience with Jesus. And I think that is really beautiful to be able to craft that and help you yeah, experience Jesus and meet with Jesus on a Sunday morning. Because it's more than just picking like, hey, what are my four favorite songs for this week, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so if you were to describe what worship is to someone that maybe isn't familiar with church, if like, I know in like the non-church world, when we say worship, a lot of things can come to mind. So how would you describe worship to someone that's maybe unfamiliar with faith? Yeah. Worship is so much bigger than music. Worship is really, it's everything. It's everything that we are. It's everything in our life. And 
because it's everything, I'm, I think worship can be through anything. And so every aspect of our life from cleaning our home and caring for our families and, and diligently doing our work, and I think worship is everything in our lives, everything about who we are and what we do, pointed to Jesus, focused on Jesus, and, and just directing everything to him. So it's everything. That's which a is good answer. Maybe Tasha should give the sermon today. Um, in fact, if you were to, today our topic is, is surrender through worship. So we're talking about surrender and worship. Uh, if you were to give a one-minute sermon on surrender and worship, what do you think you would say? Or what do you think my sermon should say? So I've been prepped on these questions. I've been thinking about this for a few days. I've been having a hard time with this question. Um, and I think it's because surrender is something that I'm still struggling with, something I still work on daily. Um, and I think what surrender really looks like for me at this point in my life is, again, it's in the everything and the anything. It's in the daily moments where I feel anxiety or frustration or anger because my son won't go down for his nap or all those little things. And it's so easy to want to stay in those feelings and kind of just sit in them. Um, but just surrendering those hard feelings and those very human feelings to allow the Holy Spirit to move in and fill that place with love and peace mm -hmm. and joy and patience and all of those things. So I think, yeah, surrender can be really big things. It can be moving to another city because you feel like God has called you there and you're surrendering to his will. It can be surrendering your finances. But I think it can also be just surrendering in every little moment in your day and just, yeah, any, any feelings that are, yeah, just human and maybe don't feel very good, just surrendering those to allow God to work in, in really beautiful ways. That's awesome. And you, you crushed it. Like, that's basically what the sermon is. So if you need to leave, you can. Um, <laughs> Uh, but Tasha, if there's, is there anything else that you wish that, that people that are here today knew about leading worship, like what it means and, and just about worship in general? Is there anything else you'd like to share? It's kind of your open-ended, anything you want to share? I think just that like we, those of us that are up here, we care deeply about you um, and yeah, just guiding you to Jesus. And so whether you know the song or not, just know that we're coming with these things, presenting them so that you can join along in worship with us so that's awesome everyone give it up for tasha thank you so much for being here you can just see it right there. yeah thank you so much tasha so uh over the next couple of weeks we'll be hearing from a few different people that are involved in up here leading worship each week um, I remember having a conversation many years ago when I was still in high school with a couple of pastors and a few other students, um, and does anyone remember when uh, purpose-driven ministry was really big? You have to have been in church for a long time to know this, and so, yeah, purpose-driven ministry, there were five things. There was uh, worship, fellowship, discipleship, service, and ministry. And, and the idea behind it was, is, as a church, you need to do these five things, and everything you do should be one of these five things. And so I was having a debate with uh, a few of the people, including two pastors, about which of these is the most important. And if you were to say, which one thing, if you could only do one thing as a follower of Jesus or as a church... What should be your focus? What should be your one thing? And, and I immediately went to uh, evangelism. I was like telling other people about the good news of Jesus. There's nothing better. That's what we're here for, and it, and it is. 
And someone else was like, no, it's definitely discipleship because discipleship is all about becoming more like the person of Jesus, being apprenticed to Jesus. And just so you know, there's a lot of overlap with these things, like they're not exclusive of one another. But I I thought it was very interesting because in this particular conversation, both of the pastors that were in the group were very adamant that worship was the most important. And they said, we were created to be in the presence of God and to abide with our heavenly Father, and that that's what we were made for before we were made to tell people about Jesus or be conformed into the likeness of Jesus, that worship is actually the one thing that we were made to do, to spend eternity praising God. And this has really stuck with me, and I've always thought like, okay, we sing songs, but is, is worship really the most important thing? Well, in this series, we're going to pretend like it is, whether you agree or not, but I think that's actually a great question. If, if you're in a life group and you're getting together this week, maybe talk about if you agree with the two pastors that were in my group that worship is the most important. I am very excited to be in this series. In my life, worship, I feel like, keeps becoming a bigger and a bigger deal for me. Um, I used to enjoy worship, but now I crave for it and I long for it. When uh, I just took about three weeks off uh, following uh, Christina's surgery, and um, she's, she's doing better and better each day, so just a quick update there. But uh, the thing that I missed the most was being in corporate worship with this group on Sunday mornings. That's the thing that I missed the most. And, and worship has become something that, that I don't just want to do, but it's something that, that I long and I crave for. It's a big part of my apprenticeship to Jesus. And, and I used to be very unemotional during worship. I just kind of came and I sang the songs. I was like, yeah, that's a good tune. Oh, I like the, the melody of that one. Um, but, but worship has become something so much more than that to me. It's, it's really where I experience the presence of God. And uh, I can actually get quite emotional in worship now. When we were singing uh, the Heart of Worship a cappella, uh, thank you so much for leading us today, Michael, and your team. Uh, I actually got quite emotional during that, and I was like, this is beautiful, like these moments of, of just coming to worship Jesus. And uh, being in this series also means I get to share with you my favorite quote of all time. It's not from the Bible, it's from a fortune cookie. And uh, this is true. Now, if you've ever... If you've ever um, If you know me well, um, some of you do, you know that I am a horrible singer, okay? I am a horrible singer, and that's why I sit in the front, so that I'm not like singing over anyone, because I feel guilty. Um, And it's also why we keep the music quite loud, because we want you to be able to sing if you sing, if you don't sing very well either. But this is what the fortune cookie told me, and it's become kind of a life motto for me, for many areas, not just about worship. But the, the fortune cookie said, sing badly if you must, but sing. And I love that. And I shared that with my students throughout youth group. Sing badly if you must, but sing. And I think that this is our, our actually, this, this fortune cookie could summarize our discipleship with Jesus. Like, just follow Jesus. If you're fumbling through it and you're making mistakes, that's okay. Just do it. Just take the next step. Just do the next thing. And so, um, yeah, that's my favorite quote. You'll probably hear it every sermon I do on worship. And, and like Tasha said, sing, or worship is a lot bigger than just singing and music on a Sunday. And so hopefully you're going to see that in the different sermons that we preach over the next little bit. But we also do want to focus on the singing and the music and the melody. And so we are going to be talking a lot about that. Janet started our series two weeks ago, and Janet talked about worship. Does anyone remember what her topic was? 
Hunger and Thirst. Some of you said it, I think. I'm sure you did. I just couldn't hear it. Um, But she started by talking about hunger and thirsting during worship. And then Matthew was here last week. And what did Matthew talk about? Oh, I'm going to tell Janet that you guys remembered hers quickly and Matthew's took a while. Okay, yeah, someone said it over here, thankfulness and worship, and how important it is to be grateful and thankful in worship. And today I'm going to be talking about surrender through worship. So that's our title today, surrender through worship. Now, surrender is a word that I, when I was studying for today and I was thinking about it, I was like, surrender means something different in the church than it means everywhere else. If you've been in the church for a while, you've probably heard us sing songs about surrender and talk about surrender, and we think about it as this kind of like nice, holy, Christian thing that we do. But everywhere else in the world, I couldn't think of another example of using the word surrender that wasn't like an awful example of what surrender is, because no one wants to surrender. No one wants to surrender. Surrender means to submit to the authority of an opponent. It actually implies combat, and that there is a struggle, that there is a winner, and that there is a loser. I know that when I lose a game, someone was telling me today that that when when they play chess and they get put in checkmate, that they're so angry, because they're like, I can't do it, I I just want to get out of this, and you have to surrender to the fact that you've been bested in that game. Or if you're at work and you have a boss that wants you to do something, and you're like, this is not the best way to do it. You have to surrender that. I don't know how many of you have ever had to surrender to a spouse in a fight. Probably not me, but you maybe. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, yes, but, but when we talk about surrender, we talk about it in this really nice way in the church, but really the word is not a nice word. Really surrendering to someone is admitting that you've been bested, and it actually implies that there's a winner and a loser, and that there's combat, that there's a fight, that there's struggle in mind. And when we think about surrender this way, it actually reminds me that, that we, because of our sin, because of our selfishness, that we are in fact enemies of God. I don't like saying that. <laughs> I don't like saying, oh, my sin makes me an enemy of God. I love the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus is that I am loved and accepted and that God has forgiven me of my sin and offers me new life. And I love talking about that. But the part of the good news of, of me being an enemy of God, I actually hate that part. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to think about that. And sometimes I have to be reminded that the good news of Jesus is such good news because the bad news about living life without Jesus is really bad news. And so we actually have to contrast those things sometimes. And that because of our sin and our tendencies towards selfishness, that we actually are opposed to God when we're trying to go our own way, when we know the way to go and we choose to do something else. You've probably heard the verse, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worship and serve the things God created rather than the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. See, the good gifts that God gives us can actually become the things that we focus on and eventually worship. We want these things to fulfill us. We want to have things in life that make us feel complete or content. Your job, if you have one, is probably a great job, but... If you put your identity in whatever job you have, it's going to ultimately fail you. I know that for me as a pastor, I've really had to wrestle with, who is Kevin aside from being a pastor? 
And it's something that you have to wrestle with. My job is a good thing, but when I start to think that everything through the lens and my focus becomes about how am I a pastor, how am I going to do better as a pastor, what's my job as a pastor, that actually becomes the thing that I worship instead of Jesus. Your family, families are wonderful, but if you think your family is going to be your ultimate fulfillment, you're going to be let down. There's a good chance that your kids are going to grow up and move away. There's a good chance that they're going to make decisions that you disagree with. Weddings are wonderful, and a lot of times people expect their spouse to complete them and to fulfill them. And we say those nice words at weddings. I say them. I do a lot of weddings. But the truth is, is that if we expect someone else, another flawed, sinful human being, to make us feel content and complete and fulfilled, We're going to be let down again and again and again. That's not fair to put that on another person. A lot of times we're looking for the next rush, the next hobby, the next relationship, the next promotion, your next child, your next home, your next car. Like, what is the next thing that you're looking for in order to make you feel complete and content? There's almost always something that I can identify that's the next thing that I'm chasing after. Whether it's validation or things or likes or views or compliments. See, these things can actually be really good things, but when they become our focus, we can very easily make them the thing that we worship instead of Jesus himself. And the Bible tells us that none of these other things are worthy of your worship. They're good gifts, but your soul, your inner being, I believe that your inner child wants nothing more than to just be with your father. Your inner child, that's, that's what you crave. Think about a child, a small child. Like You can give them good gifts, but they get tired of those gifts, but they do not get tired of mom and dad. And I believe that that's true for us as well. So surrender is a very easy word to say, but it is very hard to do because we have all of these things that distract us, all these shiny, pretty things that distract us from that. So what we're looking at today is that in worship, we actually relinquish our own authority, our own desires, the trust that we put in ourselves, our own egos, and we take all of that trust and authority and focus and we put it on God himself. Um, Does anyone know the song, I Surrender All, like it's an old hymn? Chances are, uh, if you've been coming to church for a while, you've sung that before. It was uh, written by a gentleman named Judson W. Van Deventer. Now, that is not an easy name to say, so I'm just going to call him Judson, because that's his first name. He was born in 1885, and he was raised in a Christian home, and he graduated university as an art teacher, and he loved teaching art, and when he had time off, he would tour all around Europe and visit galleries and museums and, and concerts, and he loved kind of the artistic scene, but through all of that, he felt like God was calling him to full-time vocational ministry which would mean that he wouldn't have the same time and opportunity to experience art and music the way he he had grown to love. And so Judson spent about five years really wrestling with this. And after about five years, he says that he was conducting music at a church event, and he finally surrendered his desires completely to God because he knew that God was calling him to full-time vocational ministry. And he became a full-time evangelist, and he submitted completely to the will of God. And it was actually at that time when the song was born, when the song and the words and the melody of I Surrender All came, and it's appeared in countless hymnals and sung by many churches today. So Judson taught us a powerful lesson. It is much easier to sing about surrender than it is to actually do it. 
He wrote the song in a day or two. It took him five years to actually live it out. Our text today is going to be from Romans chapter 12, and it's only two verses. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's unpack that a little bit. The first word, does anyone, is it up? Yeah, first word, therefore. Now, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to look at what happened before. Yes, that's right. So uh, it's really important that when you're studying the scriptures, what does the therefore refer to? So if you go back and you, you look at Romans chapter 11, which is right before our text, Paul has just been talking about some pretty awesome things. He's talking about how God desires to save and to, to bring salvation, not just to the cho- chosen Jewish nation, but to all people, to Jews and Gentiles, which was the entire known world at the time, that God desires to save the entire world. He talks, Paul talks about how, um, the, how depth the riches of God are, how unsearchable his judgment, how God holds the whole universe together in his hands, and therefore, because this God is so good, we can offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to this amazing and good God. Because if God was scary or mean or a tormenting God, this would be an awful thing to say. To offer yourself as a living sacrifice to a mean, judgmental, tormenting God. But Paul has just reminded us that we have nothing to fear in surrendering and submitting ourselves to this God because we have everything to gain and nothing to lose by following this wise, kind, good, powerful, transcendent, and most important, loving God. And it's not only um, us giving ourselves to God in act of worship, uh, but it says that this is the kind of worship that God desires. It says that this, being a living sacrifice, is your true and proper worship. So when we think about through the series, what, what are we trying to do? We're trying to do true and proper worship, and that is offering yourself as a living sacrifice. That's the best. If Nacho Libre was here, he'd be like, it is the best. It's the best kind of worship being a living sacrifice. But it's actually interesting because a sacrifice by definition is not living. Have you thought about that when you read this verse before? Living sacrifice. No, there aren't living sacrifices. If you sacrifice a bull, you kill the bull. If you sacrifice a lamb or a goat or a sheep, there aren't living sacrifices. So Craig Keener says, living sacrifices strain the metaphor On purpose, it strains the metaphor in order to present the sacrificial lifestyle as a continual experience. It's a little bit what Tasha was talking about. It's not something we do one time. It's something that we do moment by moment and day by day and week by week and year by year as we surrender ourselves to this all-powerful, all-loving, all-good God. Because his goal is not to destroy us or to harm us or to kill, but to give life. And as John 10.10 says, to give life to the full. And so we can hold, we, we don't have to be afraid to hold anything back. We can give him our entire selves. The word that, that when it says offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, the word for body is the Greek word soma, which refers to the entire person, which is like head to toe, 
mind, spirit, body, soul, like everything that makes you yourself is what you're supposed to offer to God, all of it as a living sacrifice. And I think something really cool when we read this verse is that uh, worship here is a conscious decision. It's not a feeling that just overtakes us. It's not just an emotional response that we sometimes associate with worship. I love the emotional part. I love it when the feelings kind of come on. Like I said, it happened to me today. But really, it is a conscious decision. Royce Gordon Grunler says, This constitutes spiritual worship, or better, the logical action of worshiping that requires a conscious, rational, thoughtful, and intelligent offering of the self in daily sanctification that is in God's sight pleasing. Because I've spent most of my life not being too emotional in worship, and God did some things in my life in the last couple of years where now I am pretty emotional in worship. Um, And again, another reason to sit in the front where people can't see your face. Um, but, But I've spent most of my life not being emotional in worship, and I, and I always wondered, am I doing this wrong? Like, I see other people with their hands raised and crying, and, and I think to myself, is, is there something I'm missing? Am I doing worship wrong? And I think it's really cool to see that worship isn't just supposed to be this emotion that overtakes us, but that it's a conscious decision. Worship is a decision as to what you put your faith and your trust into. And in in verse 2 of our passage today, um, it says that we are to be transformed. And we can view this as a warning not to begin to look too much like the world around us, the non-believing world. Being transformed actually means taking one thing and changing it to something else. We know the transformers. We got the robots, and then they look very different when they're a car or an airplane or a dinosaur or whatever they are. They make that cool sound. Anyway, they do that. And I remember playing that and making that sound a lot as a kid. But what we are supposed to do is we are supposed to have our minds transformed to look very different. And so I think that our verse today is actually a little bit of a warning that if you look just like the non-believing world around you, if you're chasing after the same things, if you're putting your focus and your trust in the same things as the non-believing friends and family that you have, you might be missing the mark. And so I would ask, how are you living differently than those around you who don't know Jesus? Are you transformationally different? Again, it's something to think about maybe in your life groups this week. Okay, so that's kind of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, I think that one of the, the things I find really interesting is that, like I said, the opposite of, of surrender is to fight. And the opposite of sacrifice is to take. And so I think one of the things that we're talking about today is, is surrender versus fight and take versus sacrifice. I want to use two gardens to kind of paint a little bit of picture and contrast them. The first garden I want to look at is the Garden of Eden. And in the garden, we see Adam and Eve living in this paradise and this perfect relationship with God and with creation and with each other. And it says that they walked in the cool of the day with the Lord. And and they were given one boundary. And the boundary was, don't eat from that one tree that is going to teach you what evil is. If you eat from this one tree, you're going to know what evil and death and sin are. And they didn't like the boundary that God put, so they fought it. And they went against it. And they they wanted to live contrary to the boundary that God had made. So they took the fruit. They took something that was out of bounds. And when they did, the, the results were devastating. 
Doug Williams says, it was in truth an invitation to circumvent accountability and resist submission. And he goes on to say, there, there can be no true worship until and unless this is reversed. Our struggle today is no different. The subtle temptation to circumvent true surrender to God's word and to simply do our own thing is a constant challenge. I know it is for me. My guess is that it can be for you as well. And so I wonder how many of us or how often each day we actually know what the boundary is and we know what the rule is and we actually know what, what the rule is there for. And we know that crossing that boundary is ultimately gonna bring about some negative effect. But we crave our independence and we crave being able to just kind of do things on our own. And we want to, we we, we cross those things anyway. And we just want to live with the consequences, even though we know it's against God's plan for us. And in a sense, that's us worshiping ourselves or created things over the Creator. So I want to contrast the Garden of Eden with another garden, one where resisting submission is reversed. Jesus, on the night before he died, was in a garden called Gethsemane. There's probably no better example of surrender and sacrifice than Jesus begging his father. He begged and he pleaded and he asked God again and again to offer a different way, to take this cup of suffering from me. Matthew 26 says, going a little further, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And I think that that's the picture of of the garden where surrender is made perfect. And in Jesus, we see this ultimate expression of what surrender looks like. Adam and Eve in the garden, they fight against God and they test the boundaries and they take. With Jesus in the garden, we see praying to his father. And I I love how honest Jesus is in this prayer. Because a lot of times, like, I know what God's will for me, and it's different than my will, and I feel like I can't fight that with God, or I can't be honest about that, but here Jesus is like, okay, Father, I know your will, please change it, right? Your will is not my will. That is not what I want with my life, and Jesus is honest about that, and Jesus is truthful, and he, he lays himself bare, It says, uh, Doug Williams says, we find him praying through this at least three times before he could finally say, not my will, but yours be done. Is there any better example of authentic surrender? I love those images of those two gardens and how they contrast. And one is about fighting and taking, and the other is about surrender and sacrifice. Okay, I just want to do kind of a quick tangent, side note really quick. Um, whenever we talk about doing the will of God and surrendering and sacrifice, it's, it, those sermons and those messages can actually easily become about like my holiness and how good am I at following this and, and my righteousness. Um, and, and it can easily shift to that from how good is Jesus? How holy is Jesus? How righteous? How good is Jesus? So I, want, I just want to remind us that, that, here's a quote, we as Christians will never be asked to make a sacrifice in order to secure our own salvation. So just pause there. I just want to read that again because I think this is really important. We as Christians will never be asked to make a sacrifice in order to secure our own salvation. Jesus has done this once and for all. 
But the Christian life well involves some level of sacrificial expression on our part. And this can never really be achieved without surrender. So your surrender isn't to earn your salvation. This isn't about you getting into heaven or God finally loving you because he didn't before. That's not what this is about because Jesus did all that on the cross and that's finished and that's taken care of. We don't add to that. But God does require surrender in our apprenticeship and our discipleship to him. Surrendering my will to God, not worshiping myself or the gifts that I've been given. It's waving the white flag and saying, yet not my will be done, but yours. It's really cool that God makes the first move in all this, okay? This isn't us initiating. It actually says in Romans 5, it says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. And in 1 John, it says, we love because he first loved us. See, our response is surrender and acceptance of this free gift that Jesus offers us. Now, for many people... This topic of surrender is actually when faith gets real. It's really easy to come to church and sing the songs and learn when to sit and when to stand. It can be really easy to kind of come and and just be like, okay, this is a great place and I love the community here. But a lot of times it's actually through the act of surrender that faith really takes root and starts to change us and transform us like our verse talks about. And it might be an area of your life, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, maybe it's a specific area of your life where you've just been holding something back, whether it's your finances or your sexuality or an addiction or something like that. Or maybe you've just really wrestled with, I don't want to give God control of my life. I want to be in charge of my life. I don't want someone else telling me what to do. And so I want to challenge you that I really do believe that it is in surrender When our faith goes from just something that we participate in to something that transforms us. So I think surrender is very important. And I want to remind you that it is good to surrender to this God who loves you, wants good things for you, isn't trying to torment or withhold or oppress you. We can stop the fighting because God is worthy of our trust. I'm going to tell you a story of a guy named Hiro Onoda. And uh, he was part of the Japanese army in the Second World War. On December 17th in 1944, the Japanese army sent Hiro to a small island in the Philippines. As Hiro was departing on his mission, his commander told him, this war may take years. It might take three years. It might take five years. But whenever it ends, we will come back for you. Hiro and his group had received the news that the war ended. It was left on a leaflet that was left behind by a local resident, and it said, the war ended on August 15th. Come down from the mountains. The war is over. But Hiro and his fellow soldiers, they scrutinized the note, and they decided that it was an allied propaganda trick to coax them out of hiding. Now, this wasn't the only message that they received. They encountered over the years, flyers were dropped from planes, newspapers were left, letters from relatives with photos, but the soldiers viewed each one of these as a clever hoax constructed by the Allies. It was 29 years later when their commanding officer, who had long since retired, came to them and read aloud the orders, Japan has lost the war and all combat activity should cease immediately. And so it was after a moment of quiet anger that Hiro pulled back the bolt of his rifle, unloaded the bullets, 
he took off his backpack and laid the rifle across it. When reality sunk in, he wept openly. In 1974, Hiro had spent 29 of his 52 years hiding in the jungle, fighting a war that had long since been over. He had no idea that his country was living in peace. There was no need to fight, yet Hiro continued fighting his own battle, his own war. And what he needed to do was to surrender. See, and I believe that we're called to do the same because the war is over and Jesus has won the victory. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead three days later, he won a total and ultimate victory. And it was at the cross that Jesus conquered and defeated death and sin and the grave and Satan and everything that has separated you and I from the love of God. It was all defeated at the cross and the resurrection. So you and I are called to raise the white flag. We can stop fighting. We don't have to worry about combat anymore. We can just surrender because the war is over and there's a king and a Lord who loves you and cares about you and gave his life for you and sacrificed himself on the cross for you. So where have you allowed someone or something to occupy a place of worship in your life? Something that should be reserved exclusively for Jesus? Is there something that consumes your thoughts, your heart, or your mind? Doug Williams says, The principle of surrender is central to the Christian concept of worship. Truly surrendering to God's will entails the prioritizing of His will over our own. It requires us to acknowledge His sovereignty over all things even our things. This is our worship. Jesus having sovereignty over even our things. So I want to ask you today, are you worshiping a relationship? Are you worshiping, are you longing for a relationship to come and completely change you and fulfill you and give you contentment or validation? Are you, are you serving and worshiping an addiction, a quick fix to something because you don't want to take the hard route around it? Are you worshiping a spouse that is never quite good enough or able to love you the way that you want? If only they loved me better, everything in my life would be better. I want to tell you that's too much pressure to put on another flawed human being. Maybe you're worshiping sex or pornography where you just long to be accepted and loved and validated. Maybe you're worshiping work and the ability to produce and achieve and accumulate more prestige at your place of work. Maybe it's consumerism, looking for things like style or luxury, more, more stuff and toys to kind of fill that empty void that you feel inside you and finally, and finally bring contentment. Is it a number on a scale? Is it how people see you? Is it money? Is it security? Is it your next home? Is it your kids who aren't following you or listening to you the way you wish they would? These things, both the good and the bad things, can all become objects of our worship. We worship all sorts of things that are at war, that are enemies with the one who deserves all of our worship. I heard someone at a conference once say, if you can't give it away, you don't own it, it owns you. So I want to invite our prayer team up as always, um, or sorry, I want to invite the worship team up. As always, we have a prayer team. They're at the front here on the sides, and they're also uh, in the prayer room, which is in the back. That's the one I typically would go to because I like to pretend I'm going to the bathroom and then uh, go into the prayer room, um, just telling you my secrets. Um, But we have people that would love to pray with you. We have people who just want to discuss with Jesus whatever it is that's on your heart. So I want to ask you today, what does your worship gravitate towards? 
Where are the areas in your life that you need to surrender to Jesus? He's not a victor who wants to enslave and trap or abuse or take advantage of you. He wants to make you whole and to fix the broken areas and to bring healing in areas where you're continually disappointed and disillusioned with things that actually were never meant to satisfy you. Jesus is a gentle, humble king who invites you to come. He invites you to come before him in all your brokenness, with all your striving, to just be raw and bare like Jesus in the garden saying, God, this isn't my will. So what does this worship look like? I'm going to invite you to stand with me right now. And when we worship, maybe this is new for you, maybe this is a struggle, maybe this is outside your comfort zones, in which case you don't have to do what I say. But I would encourage you to hold out your hands and give to God and lay before him your fears, your idols, the things that maybe you've worshipped more than Jesus himself insecurities and brokenness, bitterness and resentment. And through song in worship, we confess to Jesus that he is God alone and that he alone is worthy of our praise, not these other things. And through worship, we're reminded of the truths of scripture about the goodness and the awesome power of Jesus that only he satisfies. And in worship, we pray and we ask God for his help. And in worship, we have communion with God moment by moment, day by day, and week by week as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to the one true good king. We give him our worship. We use our soma, our entire selves, to posture ourselves before our Lord and King. And so, Jesus, we offer you our bodies, both individually and corporately as this church body. We recognize that, that we have chased after false gods in our lives. We've chased after things that we thought would give us contentment, and we recognize that they are empty. Holy Spirit, we want to give you the place of honor in our hearts. God, we want to come back to worship you and you alone. And so God, meet with us in this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.